0: Alright, so what we're going to do, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6 looking at parenting and so forth. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible with you this evening, why don't you raise your hand and keep it raised really high. One of our ushers will walk down the aisle and get you a copy of God's Word. Even if you forgot your Bible, take a Bible so that you can follow along with us. Um, If you don't own a Bible, please go ahead and keep the one that we are handing out. It is our gift to you so that you can grow and an understanding and a knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so let me just kind of recap as you turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We've been looking at this this book for some time now, and we, we finally got to the point of the last chapter of this book. But let me step back and give the big picture of Ephesians again. First, we said Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul. He wrote it to the church that was in Ephesus. Now, when you hear church that was in Ephesus, think about the gathering of people that were in Ephesus. Not one church, but multiple churches in this huge city. The city had multiple religions, political ideologies, etc. And Paul started the church there. And he wrote this letter back, different than most letters that he wrote, because usually letters that he wrote were, were to respond to some particular issue or question that was happening. But Paul is actually painting this big picture of God's cosmic renewal and restoration, and what we see is that God in Christ, not our efforts, but his work, he's doing something. That God has taken these diverse group of things that don't normally go together, and he's bringing them together for something new in his new world. So, so first in chapter 1, we see that he's uniting heaven and earth, which has been separated because of our sin and the sin in Adam. But now in Christ, it says he's uniting all things in heaven and earth. So those two things come together as one. And then you see that man, men and women, have been separated from God, Father, Son, and Spirit. But now in the work, not because of our efforts, but through the work and his grace of Jesus, that we can now be reconciled with God, that we can be with God and have this union with God, that our sins may be forgiven, and that we may partner with God in what he's doing. Well, then what we see in the latter part of chapter 2, there's these two distinct ethnic groups. There are Jewish Christians, and then there's also Gentiles. And what what the separation that has been there now in the work of Christ, as it says in his body that he's broke down the wall of hostility and that he's bringing those two together to create, as he says, one new man, which literally means one new society to be able to display to the rest of the world who God is and what God is like in his people by the Spirit. Then what we see is Paul takes these diverse gifts, and how he's given them to one body, that is the body of believers, that we are to live in relationship and unity and community together using our gifts, not in a way to one-up each other, begin to serve each other, serve our community, and begin to worship our Lord. And we, he's talked about ways in which that looks like, and not to steal, and not to rob, but, <clears throat> but to use the talents we have to share with others. And then he takes the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he begins to infuse it into the culture to bring about societal change. And the way that that worked in the Roman Greco world was that many of the people, not just religious people, believed that as the family goes, so goes society. But if you want to transform a society, then you have to have the family structure right. Now, if you can just picture the family structure in the Roman Greco world. So imagine a pyramid. And on this, at the top of the pyramid was the father. And the father was the one that made all the rules and had all the power and authority. And then after that, you had um, the mother. And then after the mother, you would have the kids, right? No, wrong. You would have grandparents, adult kids, and whoever was living in the house. After that, you would have the young kids. No, no. Then you would have slaves. And at the very bottom of the bottom were children. Children were not given the the adoration that we give kids in our culture. In fact, children were looked at as something that was annoying, that you didn't have any real meaning to your life until you hit puberty. And that was the structure. And what Paul begins to do, as we've been seeing, is that when the gospel begins to um, have an impact, begin to shape and form the people of God that are in that, that the father, who's on the top, is not just getting whatever he wants. So in essence, the father is not just getting the big piece of chicken. But what we have is now that looking at Christ, the father is to come underneath and be able to serve the rest of the family and give his life in the same way that Christ has. That we begin to see that there's roles between men and women that begin to reflect the beauty of the gospel as Christ and the church. That we begin to see today that what it looks like for parents and children, and then we'll come back and we'll see a slaves and masters. And so last week, Josh talked, if you weren't here, man, did you miss the sermon. Um, last week, Josh talked about relationships between men and women, and he talked about a husband and wives, and then there was a disclaimer right? I wasn't here. I listened to the sermon. There was a disclaimer. He said, hey, if you have kids, take your kids out right now. And because he's, he was about to talk about something like the trampoline. And if you don't know about the trampoline, if you don't know about the trampoline, you should have been at church last week because I'm not going to go through it, right? He said, turn to your neighbor. And he says, it's about to get weird. And every, all of everybody else was like, it's already weird. Just keep going, right? So, so, so we talked about, about that. Now, this is a message we like, no, bring the kids in, because a lot of it has to do with who they are and what they're supposed to do. So if you have kids and they're not in the room, um, usually you ask them, what you learn over there within, in children's ministry today, they need to ask you, what'd you learn? And you could tell them, hey, not me, but the Bible says you're supposed to obey me. And so we got to get some things right in our family, right? So that's where we're going to be able to, that's where we may look at tonight. We're not talking about the trampoline, goodness, um, Let's pray, ask God to bless our time as we look at the text. Father in heaven, we thank you for the great grace in which you've extended to us and your son Jesus, and through him, and only through him, we have access to you, not just to get things from you, Lord, but to get you, that you would be present with us by your spirit. And God, we thank you for your word in which you've left us, Lord, that has authority over our lives, Lord, we pray that it would shape us, it would fashion us and form us, that we would live resurrected lives in Christ as your people. I thank you for those who are here, Lord, who have never trusted in you, Lord, that your gospel would come to bear in their lives. For those who are here who are visiting with us, Lord, that the gospel would be encouraging in God, I pray that you'd remove me, that we would elevate ultimately the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Lord, that you would shape our lives. Father, we thank you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Everybody in this room and everybody, um, if you're not in this room, and if, no, if you're not in this room, doesn't matter. Um, everybody in this room that has had a kid, you remember where you were the first time you knew you were going to get a kid. Whether whether it was a a biological kid, whether it was foster care, whether it was adoption, you knew, like you remember that moment, especially the first time. And so I remember, so the condo we lived in, my wife and I, when we first got married, um, we had a lot of scorpions, this scorpion issue. And Holly had just gotten stung by a scorpion two weeks before, so I knew what that scream was like. I knew what that scream was like when she saw a spider. So when I came home from a long day's work, I mean, long, I mean, I was, you know, just think Fred Funstone, pale, the whole deal, right? And so I come home, and we had a split-level uh, house. Our room was actually upstairs. That was only upstairs. And I, and I heard her scream. And I'm like, that's not a spider scream. And it's not a scorpion scream. What I learned later was that's a pregnancy scream. And so I, I walk upstairs, and she's got the pregnancy test. And she's looking at me, she's like, ah, 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 right? <laughs> and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm looking at it like, okay, I'm not touching that. Um, and and she, she, she says to me, I'm pregnant. Now, by the great grace of God, and this had to have been from God, I had the whereabouts to be calm in that moment. Mind you, Holly and I had only been married for maybe 10, maybe 11 months. We barely knew each other. Didn't even know her middle name probably, right? And so we, 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 this was not something we were like, oh, yeah, we're going to have kids, the first, you know, whatever. So we get up there, and then I actually go, Holly, this is a blessing. This is a gift. The Bible says that children are a blessing from the Lord. I promise you. I said it just like that. And she looked at me, and I kind of stepped out of my body and looked at me and was like, did you really just say that? <laughs> right, because, because I was freaking out. I was freaking out. And I, I, I remember that. And you know what was crazy is my wife was, at the time, she was working for Crisis Pregnancy Center, which is, a, which is a pregnancy center, and she would say these women would come off the streets and we would do ultrasounds for them, and then they would find out that they were pregnant, and then they would say... Um, I don't know how this happens. And she goes, I want to tell him, I'm like, you know how this happened, right? I promise you this. Holly goes, how did this happen? And I was like, listen, you know how this happened. <laughs> it was the trampoline. <laughs> so we, 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 I, I remember, I remember that day of becoming a parent. Now, now here's the thing. When it comes to parent, parenting, or even just raising kids and our culture, here's what I know. Everybody's an expert on parenting until you have your own kids. There's all these things that you're gonna do, and there's all these things that you're never gonna do until you have your own kids. And what happens is, we have a different view, the Bible teaches, I think, a different view of parenting from the gospel, as opposed to the culture in which we live in, and definitely the culture that Paul was writing to. So when we think about our cultural narrative about kids in general, um, we have kind of these extremes. We have one extreme where we, we idolize kids, like kids become everything. Like they are the center of everything we do. It's like even as believers, followers of Christ, oftentimes we will we will have God at the center. Like God is at the center. All of a sudden the kid comes into the life and we knock on the door and say, God, we know you've been living in this room, but you gotta move out because we gotta paint this room, we gotta put the kids in this room, and everything becomes about the kid or the kids. And I'm not just talking practically because you gotta get them to places and so forth I and mean, so forth, but I mean your whole marriage and life centers around these kids. That's a problem. Like like, our family is not designed so that kids are at the center. God is always at the center. But we idolize kids in some way. On the flip side, we have this, this avoidance of kids. Like, many people, the last thing they could ever dare have are kids. I was reading this article that it says that people between the ages of 17 to 35, which is right there, like, that's our church, are more likely to not have kids on their own. They would rather have pets than have kids they would rather have pets than to have kids hey man see and I know you guys who know me go you know I don't like pets I'm a hater and all that I am a hater when it comes to pets I know that. I understand but I understand they're God's good creation and so forth but they're not kids and the reality of it is we, we we do have a culture that treats pets some ways better than kids they'll leave water out for them and everything else it's like oh that's not for you sir that's for the dogs it's like the dogs right mind you and I know some people who have pets and who have kids have a hard time treating their kids better than their pets. And this is the image of parenting like that. <laughs> that's actually probably in Portland. <laughs> right? So that's, that's, that, that's a problem. In the Bible, when Paul's writing to Ephesus, and I said this before, kids were like the lowliest of the lowliest on the totem pole. Like, there was not, hey, here's a picture of my kid. Hey, what, do you, what, what does my kid say? It wasn't. In fact, they were treated harshly, sadly, that the father, if he didn't like the kid, he can get rid of the kid. And that happened quite often. And especially if the kid was not able-bodied and the the father didn't feel like the kid was going to be able to contribute to the family, that he can get rid of the kids. In fact, many of the believers were known, Christianity was known in in that first century church, of being able to take in families. The Church has always been known to be able to take in kids into their family. That's been a part of the church since the dawn of of Christianity in Christ. And so you have these views and they go, what does the Bible teach about this? And I want to be clear here. I've been around church to know that there's a lot of views on parenting and there's a lot of books on parenting. This is not a sermon on what you feed your kids. It's not a sermon on cloth diapers or disposable diapers, vaccinations or non vaccination. Um, this is not a homeschool or non school or unschooled or no school or whatever it may be. Because a lot of Christians will get in arguments over all of these things that say, well, God told me this. Okay, if God told you that, that's great. But we're going to look at what God actually said to all people and have the wisdom from that. Because what happens is we take these very beautiful things that God has given us in his creation that we can learn in books and read, and we take them as if they're gospel and then we try to shove them into the Bible and some way mix it up and say, this is what God said. It's like, no, 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 let's look explicitly what did God say and then what freedoms do we have from that in order to parent, amen? Like everything we get has to be able to come from, from the scripture. So here, here's what Paul says, chapter six, verse one, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is Right? Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. So Paul says this, he, what Paul is talking about here, there's natural law, there's God's law and God's heart in this first part when it comes to children. The, the natural law is those things that are true no matter where you go. They're just kind of natural law. don't no matter what country you go to, no matter what society you're in, even if you're in the jungle, that there's certain things like you should murder. Like you don't have to be a Christian to know that. You don't have to be like, oh man... We didn't know, we weren't followers of Jesus then, so we were just murdering everybody. No, like, everywhere you go, like, that still is something that is not acceptable. In the same way, and and throughout human history, kids in all cultures and languages and so forth are to obey their parents. Like, that's expected, that kids would obey their parents. That's a natural law. Paul said, it's right. That's what he says, it's right. Like, it's just the right thing that you do. Children, obey your parents. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation or you or yourself have been there where you've seen the child, like, say something silly to their parents? Like, you ever had that experience? Like, I remember the first time I went to my friend Brandon's house. We were 12 years old, and we were in his, house, in his room playing video games. And his mom came in, and she said, hey, you guys are going to turn the video games off. I'm getting relieved, Ricardo, you got to go home, something like that. And he starts yelling at her and starts cussing at her. As soon as he did that, I flinched. Like, I ducked and covered because I thought something's coming, and it's not about to be good. And she was like, hey, you know not to talk to me like that. You know better than that, all right. And she walked out. And I was thinking, if that would have been Brenda Stewart, my mom, I promise you, I would even be here today. I, there's, there's no doubt. I would not be here today. they had been like, man, Ricardo, he lived a good life, right? It was cut short. You know why? Because he was talking back to his mom. That, there's, this, there's this sense of going, no, you, the kids don't parent their parents. Parents parent their kids. Like, that, that's just natural law. We'll say, well, it's God's law. Literally, God's law. Verse 2, honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. Now, what Paul is doing, he's reaching back to what he knows. He's reaching back into the, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. He's reaching back into Exodus. And what you see in Exodus there is that once God does this great act of redemption, and the great act of redemption in the Old Testament was God reaching in in his grace and saving his people out of the hands of Pharaoh in Egypt and being able to prepare a way for them to enter into the promised land. He says this in Exodus 19. I have carried you like, like, like on eagle's wing. Like, I did this for you, meaning his grace always precedes the rules that he gives us. It's not that you do these things and then you receive my grace. No, you receive my grace and I've given you the rules in order to live in relationship. So Exodus 20 flows after that, and Exodus 20, we have what we know as the Ten Commandments. And one of those commandments is that you are to honor your mother and your father. And he says this is the only commandment that has a promise with it, which he takes out of Deuteronomy. And he's saying this is what God says. He is very serious. Listen to me. God, because he's a father, is serious about this parenting thing. Like, it's not so much that we take our earthly ideas of fathers and we project them upon who God is. No, 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 We understand who God is who's always been a father because he's always had a son. And then we begin to understand what it looks like to live in a true family under a perfect father. And that is kids are to submit and to obey and to respect their fathers. He's serious about it. In fact, when you look at some of the laws in the Old Testament, it, it'll make you cringe. That if a, if, a, if a child was supposed to get sideways on his parents, that that child was, like, liable to be stoned, Now, we're New Testament believers in the grace and covenant of the Lord. That's not allowed, guys, anymore. But I'm just saying, you can't go to your kids and be like, listen, listen, mom and dad, we've been talking. We're agreement. You do that again, man. You're getting stoned. You can't do that anymore. The point is the severity of what God was saying when it came to children submitting to their parents. In fact, you see in the New Testament, in Romans chapter 1, when Paul is talking about the wrath and the judgment of God that's being revealed against ungodliness, they begin to list sins. I mean, it's amazing to me because he's like, he's like and here's what it looks like. It's those who are sexual, sexually immoral and murderers, those, those who disobeyed their parents. It's like the murderers and those who didn't make their bed, they're all going to get it, right? Like there's, there's some sense that God is going, like, this is wildly disobedient. is to disobey your parents. You should honor your mother and your father. And then you have God's heart, not just his law, I mean, like his natural law, like that you know, most people believe this and his law that he says here through his word, but then there's his heart behind it and his and love and his affection. He says, verse 3, that it may go well with you that you may live long in the land. It's not just obey because God said so. Everything God tells us to do and everything God gives us to do, he's giving us life-giving rules, life-giving instructions, what's best, what's beautiful, what's right, and what's true. That God is not withholding anything good from his children. He's actually given us the best because he always gives us himself. So when God says that, that we, to do, we are to do anything, it's always life-giving to step in obedience and to step in faith of what he's calling us to do. So as children, we ought to be obeying our parents. And he says, because it's going to go well with you. It's going to be prosperous for you. And he's particularly talking about the people of Israel as they enter into the, the land that God promises. It's going to be good for you. And not just in the land, but it's God's people. It's going to be good Like the family thing that God created, it's always been good. We understand that there's issues because of sin, but that because the marriage has been affected and family has been affected by sin doesn't mean it's not part of God's good creation. We just have to realize what sin has done, as it always does, it twists. It takes love and it turns it into lust. It takes good, healthy authority and oftentimes turns it into oppression, and what God in Christ is doing through the gospel is putting it back in its rightful place that it may be life-giving because he desires to be a good father to us that give us good instructions that we may live in his presence and his grace. So, some questions you can ask is, well, how long does a child become a child? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm in college. I'm out of college. I got my own job. I'm paying my own phone bill. I got my own house. Maybe not, right? Do I still need to obey my parents? Well, I do think that's a cultural um, question. I really do. I think, one, because certain cultures have different ages sometimes of what it means to be an adult um, or who has authority, right? We live in the West, and so what that looks like is we're highly individualistic, and so we have, like, listen, as soon as you can get out of this house, get out of this house type of mentality. Um, and the day that Paul was writing, especially in the Roman Greco world, the Roman father had authority over his kids as long as he was, as he was alive. So daddy was always daddy, um, in some cultures right now, it, it is you don't make decisions apart from your family. And, it, and sometimes what happens, in, especially in a city like Tempe, where we have a lot of people who move here from different countries and whatnot, um, we try to project our cultural things upon them as if it's the right way instead of just a way. And, and I remember talking to him, like, he's like, no, my dad wouldn't let that happen. I'm like, man, you tell your dad you're grown. He's like, no, you tell my dad dad. Like, right? You don't tell my dad that. Are you serious? Have you, do you, ever, you know what happened to the last person I told my dad that? I'm like, what happened? He goes, we don't know. That's the problem. And so you, you, you have to step back at some level and look at it and go, what does this mean? Here's what this always means, though. This always means that you honor your mother and your father. I get there are some circumstances where it is wildly difficult and sometimes not even appropriate for you to be in the same space as some of your parents. I get that. Um, but we're to honor them. And what the breakdown is in our country as very individualistic people in our society is, the way it breaks down is we look after number one often. And what's happening is it's not so much the kids who we're not taking care of. It's actually our parents that we don't and their parents. That the elderly get pushed to the edges and they get pushed to the fringes. They're not welcomed into the home that, because they're not powerful. They don't add, they're not young. They're not vibrant and so forth. And yet I think part of honoring our father and our mothers is our grandmothers and our grandfathers and so forth is being able to care for them in, in times in which they need care. Like that, that, that's a part of honoring And what that looks like, I just watched my my wife's um, father and mother care for her grandma and just watching. And it, it was difficult, but it was a way in which they knew that from the scriptures, that's what it means to honor. So we have to think about that as well and not pushing our elderly to the fringes for somebody else to take care of them instead of us being able to wrap ourselves around our family and then taking care of them as well. Amen. It's easy for me to honor my mother, she's my hero. It's hard for me to honor my father, but I gotta look at my ultimate father and say, if you're calling me to do it, it must be good. It must be good. I gotta find out a way to do it, it must be good. So some of you guys might need to go home after this and go, Dad, I need to call my mom, I need to call my dad. like, listen, man, I've been messing up. I need to love you guys way more. So um, that's the wisdom from the Lord, and that's the command of the Lord, is to honor our mother and to honor our father. So you step back, and he goes from parents, and Paul begins transitioning to talk about, okay, what, um, excuse me, from kids, to talk about parents. And here's the thing. Um, some of us can say, we don't know if we had good examples of parents, we don't know if we had good examples of fathers, because if you've heard me say this once, you've heard me say it a million times, more things are caught than taught. So whatever way you were, you were parented, that's probably the way you're going to parent. You can do some things to redirect, you can work on it, and that's a good thing, but if you've seen it done, you're probably going to do it. And so here, I, I just got two images of, or three images, but two are fathers in which we had um, a good example that was set before us. The first one is this guy. This guy did a great job, all right? You guys, given the context and the age of this, this service, you guys might not know Uncle Phil. Uncle Phil, Uncle Phil was a real deal. Uncle Phil took care of his family. Um, he had a bomb house. Uh, he cared for his own kids. He even took his nephew, who was um, born and raised in Philly, and actually came to Bel Air to live with him, man. He, he, he took him in. He took care of Will, All right. And I'm not trying to, I want to be culturally sensitive, and so I know this might have been for some of us, but for some of you guys, this was the guy that you guys had. Um, that's Tim, the two man dude, right? I don't know if I've ever seen one of these shows, but I know, look it, I'm winning. I'm just trying to make sure we include people. And then, and then, and then, the dude who's hot right now, is probably the best dad on TV right now, is this dude. Yeah, yeah, see. Jack is that dude right now. Um, I'm hoping the writers of This Is Us don't do something where he just all of a sudden loses his shine because right now he's that guy. That, that Yeah, man, that's amazing right there. That, 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 those are the examples we have. But then we go back to the Bible. <laughs> and here's what Paul says to fathers. In the same way it says brothers could be brothers and sisters. This is fathers, but it also could be mothers. So, so moms, you're not getting off the hook. Verse 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. I, I said this before. This is not so much on styles of parenting and school choice and so forth. Like, I just don't even want to go down that route. Like, I've already gone down that route before, and I've gotten in a lot of trouble. Okay, we're going to stay right here. When it says do not provoke your children to anger, the reason why Paul has to say that is because the fathers were very angry and, 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 and punishing their kids. not right? just discipline, punishing their kids for being kids. And he's saying we can't do things with our thoughts and our actions and our words to break our children down. And we have the ability to do that. Like we really do. A father's words, a mother's words, and in some ways even especially a father's words, have the ability to build up or to break down your children. All of us can remember something at some point that our fathers or our mothers said to us that stick to us today. That old thing that we say is a lie, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is a lie. They hurt because they stick with this. They stick with this. So we have to figure out what are the ways in which we can do to not provoke them to anger. He's not saying don't do things that make your kids upset. No. Your kids are going to be upset. You know why? Your kids have a built-in gene to try to run your house. And you got to stop it. Right? Because kids naturally will run things. Right? They're born into this world saying, I'm trying to run things. Right? And so if you let them... Do it, they will do it. So it's not saying, okay, whatever I need to do to make my kids happy. No, the Bible does not say do whatever you do to make your kids happy. In fact, someone told me this, and I believe this. You choose when you want your kids to hate you. You can spoil them, let them do whatever they want when they're kids, and when they get older, they'll walk all over you. Or you can discipline them them early and often, and when they get older, they'll respect you, love you, they'll take care of you. Now, I didn't say that. Somebody told me that. I just, I'm going to trust the people who have gone before me. I got young kids. Um, nobody in here would say they're expert. I've never met the person that says, listen, I'm an expert on parenting. You should listen to me. If somebody says that, I walk out of the room and say, that dude's deranged. Right? So it says, do not provoke your kids to anger. So you got to think, what are ways in which I am? And then when you are, confess it. You want one of the biggest gifts of your kids? Let me tell you this. This is, this is from my limited experience of my nine years of parenting. Kids, one of the biggest things you give to your kids and you don't want to is your sinful patterns. Kids will pick up on your sins so easy, so easy. They don't pick up on the good stuff. You want to be like, did you see that? Nope, not repeating that word. I'm going to repeat that other word that you said, though. Um, and the best thing you can give your kids is your confession. You lose it on your kid, you, you got to be honest. You got to tell your kids the truth. And, so, and I, everybody's parents, parenting is different. I think it's age appropriate. I tell my kids my story a lot. Whatever they can pick up, I tell them. I tell them, hey, yes, this is what daddy was like. This is what daddy is still like. Hey, daddy's got issues. Daddy needs Jesus. Like, and that's not to, um, like, hey, I'm a good parent. No, because I'm a sinner who's in need of grace, and your kids need to see that as well. The whole, like, putting up a picture for your kids like you're a superhero. Nah. Our goal as parents, oftentimes, is our kids look to us in some ways like we we are God. And our role is to just continue to get out of the way and point them to who God really is to point them to who he is in Christ. And so whatever, whatever, one of the best gifts is to be able to over and over tell your kids um, you're sorry and that you confess, that you can confess your sin to your kids, especially when you lose it on them, because sometimes you will. Well, then Paul gives us this picture of what we ought to do, not just a negative. He says, but um, bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. That literally means to nourish them in Jesus. It's been my experience my experience is that parents, and especially even in Christian circles, will talk more about what psychology says about, Jesus, about parenting than what Je- who Jesus is. And I'm not actually against psychology. I think it's a good gift from the Lord. We'll talk more about food choice and nutrition and red food coloring and all these other things more than we talk about what it means to raise our kids in Jesus Christ. We will have way more excuses of why our kids can't show up and be in church on Sunday than actually to say this is another means in which we can raise our kids and nourish them in the ways of Jesus Christ. That, that, that we will look at other people's parenting styles and we will judge the heck out of them instead of co- collaborating with them, learning from them, and how we can mutually, in the body of Christ, be able to raise our kids and nourish our kids in Jesus Christ. Like what Paul is saying here is when you have freedom to decide your school and so forth in our country. You can decide all those things. But the one thing that you don't get to choose in the kids of whom God has given you, if you are a follower of Christ, is that there's discipline and there's instruction and nursing them in Jesus Christ. And that discipline there, that discipline is not just an instruction. It's not just um, words and teaching only. It's life on life and showing them with your life and your words who Jesus is. So it's a picture that we see, when you see in the the, the book of um, Proverbs, you see David, this father with Solomon, and it's like they're walking around the city, and as they see things, he goes, oh, son, check it out. That right there, that situation, you shouldn't go there. Don't judge those people, but that is not wise. Okay, when it comes to your mom, you listen to your mom. You know why daddies need to say that sometimes? It's because sometimes young kids will disrespect the heck out of their mom. I've never, I remember somebody telling me before I had kids, like, yeah, man, I'm always having to tell my kids that, you know, they got to listen to their mom. And I thought, hey, when I married Holly, like, Holly is tough as all get out. These boys will listen to Holly. Man, they will try to punk Holly any chance they get, right? They will, they will. And sometimes they don't know I'm in the house. And they'll be saying things to her like completely, like all these kids lost their mind. And then I walk out of the room and they're like, oh, oh, he's here. Oh, mom, is there anything else you want me to do? I'll do anything for you, mother. Right? And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, no, I just heard the way you was treating your mom. So parents, when you parent your kids, you got to parent together. Daddy can't be saying one thing and then mama saying another thing. Because you know why? Because kids will manipulate you. We are talking about the word manipulation in our house right now. Hey, man, you lost all your privileges, man. You got no video games, no TV, all right? So I tell my son that. Okay, I forget to tell my wife that. Should have told my wife that. I leave. I go to the grocery store. I come back home. This little dude is on the couch, feet up, watching TV. And I say, whoa, 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 whoa. Didn't I just tell you you can watch TV? Yeah, but I talked to mom. And she's, oh, man, don't provoke your kids to anger. But what about when your kids provoke you to anger, right? And so there's, <laughs> there's... There's, there, 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 there is a sense where you as father and as mother, if you were married, that you guys be, got to be in agreement. So if my wife says something, even if I disagree with it, guess what I disagreed with? I just agreed with whatever she said. We could talk about it later. There's no, there's no cracks. We can't because they will find it. Oh, I could, hey, hey, Noah, I don't think they're together on this one. Okay, I'm going to attack mom. You attack dad. We're going to get them. Right? They, they will try to do that. The discipline part of it, though, is this. Everybody has their form of discipline. And I understand that we live in a day and age right now, but everybody doesn't believe in the same form of discipline. Personally, myself, I'm old school. I'm old school because that's the way I was raised. And so whatever your form of discipline is, if it's not spanking or whatnot, you have to discipline your kids. There's no such thing as free range parenting, do what, let the kids do what they wanna do. That is your responsibility. I feel like you've abdicated, abdicated your responsibility as a parent to say, I'm gonna let my kids do whatever they wanna do. That's not being responsible. There has to be some boundaries. Because if we, follow, if we follow our Father, He gives us boundaries in order that there may be freedom. That the best way we experience freedom is understanding there are boundaries and that we should not step outside of those boundaries for our good and His love for us. And so in the same way that when it comes to kids that we have to be able to give boundaries and there has to be discipline in their life that we have to discipline our kids. It's our responsibility to discipline them. Now, what I would say is you have to check your heart before you start disciplining your kids. Like you can't discipline your kids because you're angry or because you're mad or because you had a bad day or because they're just being kids, right? Sometimes kids are just being kids. Like, like if a kid, you have a glass on the, on the table and a kid walks in, especially young kids. Young kids are clumsy, right? They're clumsy and unaware. And somehow, you put the glass somewhere, where you're like, there's no way they can knock it down. Somehow, a kid is going to figure out a way to knock that down, not even on purpose. They'll come in the house, jump up, do a flip, kick the glass off the table, and then in. is that just being a kid, or is that someone who's disobeying? Okay, you got to be able to have discernment and wisdom to go, are they being a kid, or they, is it something we discipline? We're learning in our household, tell the truth. Tell the truth. We have, um, I have two boys, I'm not I can tell you which one did this, but those of you who know me, you know exactly which one who did it. Um, Jim Mullins, one of the pastors here who was just up here doing the interview, he said, um, Hey man, can you get me ride home? I said, Yeah, but let me go pick up the kids. Why don't you come with me and pick up the kids at the school? We go pick up the boys at school, they get in the car. Jim asks one of my sons, hey, how's it going? He's, you know, Jim's always asking questions and stuff. And uh, and he tells him, he's like, What happens when you get in trouble? He goes, Oh man, there's step one. And step one is you gotta like look at the wall. I'm like, they're still doing that. And he goes, and then Jim goes, what's step two? And he goes, Man, we don't even know what step two is. He goes, Oh man, it's crazy. And then the other one goes, Hey, hey, you want to know what step four is in my class? Right? <laughs> oh, step four. So we said, Yeah, man, go ahead, tell us what step four is. And he just goes to this elaborate, I mean, very convicted too, like, and I know him though. I know, he's lying. I know he's lying. Jim's eating it up. I know he's lying. (laughs) And so, and I said, hey, buddy, I'm driving. I said, hey, buddy, are you telling the truth? Be honest. And he says, not all of it. Okay. But I know none of it's true. So I said, hey, you have a chance to be honest and like tell the truth. Is that true? And he's like, no, none of it's true. I don't even know what step one, two, or three is. <laughs> and it was just like, so we said, okay, buddy, that's not being, a, you can have an imagination and you can tell stories. That's a lie, right? And, and we're going to talk about that, but I'm so excited that you told the truth. I want to praise the fact that he's telling the truth, but I want to deal with the fact that he's lying. And as a parent, and as parents, you have to find the discernment and say, Lord, help me, help me discern how to, how to raise these kids in a certain way, completely different kids. But we have to discipline them and we have to instruct them in the Lord. That's our call. It's to discipline them and instruct them in the Lord, to find ways to continue to point them to Jesus. Here's the reality. Raising your kids in a Christian home does not ensure that they're always going to walk with Jesus. What we know about the gospel is you can't save your kids. You can save yourself. Only Jesus can. We have to create the space and keep the environments there that the gospel of Jesus Christ may be communicated and that the Spirit would do His work. Right? Some of us are in Christ right now because God saved us because somebody has been praying for us daily. I think, as our church, the movement of prayer that will happen is actually going to happen with the women of our church. And you guys don't feel it as much, especially if this is your service, but our church is changing. We used to be primarily this demographic. And life stages have changed, and there's more pain than we've ever had in our church. And I think somehow the way God has made a woman in some ways is that there is deep, deep concerns. Not to say the fathers don't, but there's a deep concern for the children. And I believe that the women in our church that have already started is starting to pray, not just for the kids, but for the church in itself because there's a lot of pain. Most of us have caused our parents pain. I ask my mom all the time, like, how did you watch me do what I was doing knowing the way you raised me? You know what she told me? She says, because when you guys were babies and I became a Christian, I gave you guys to the Lord. You were always his. All I was doing was to find ways to continue to point point you guys to him. That's not how we parent. We are, in some ways, pointing our kids to us instead of pointing them to Jesus. And hear me. If if you have kids, you're going to have kids or whatever. It's not the church's responsibility to disciple your kids primarily. It's yours. So we don't go, man, I left this church because they they, they weren't discipling my kids. You know what? You should leave every church then. Paul doesn't say... And parents, find a good church that has a good curriculum for your kids, right? No, you are disciplined. your kids. The church comes along your side, you as mothers and fathers to help train your kids. But we get about, a, about 90 minutes, maybe on a Sunday, and then you get all day with them. And then, you know, man, it's the church's fault. Hey, you better look in the mirror, bro. Right? That's on all of us. Pastors, congregants, we have to raise our kids. It's not the school's responsibility to raise our kids. Now, we may send our kids to school, but it's on us to be able to raise these kids. And that's not the, uh, um, a heavy burden if we're doing in the ways of the Lord. We have to be able to trust in the very thing in which we believe that saved us, and that is the grace of our Lord Jesus, that he desires for our kids to know him and to be raised in a certain way. Amen? So, so, so let me, I want you to close your Bible. I'm going to close with this. Um, one Is we have to look to our heavenly father. Not as just the example, but absolutely the goal and the power in which we receive. That when it comes to our children and then the children of others, our father is very patient with us. Right? Our father forgives us 70 times, 77 times. Our father is always good to us. Our father is always present. Our father says that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Our father is redeeming us. Our father is there even in the midst of the highs and the lows. Our father is actually the good and best father. No matter how good your earthly father was, or no matter how absent earthly father is, your heavenly father has been there, has been creating. Your father is the ultimate goal in which we begin to parent, father, and mother the children whom God's given us. So I'm going to address a few people. One, if you're single here, no kids, thank you for just even sitting through that. But we need it, and we all need to hear it because we're part of the same church. One of the best things you can do is put yourself around people who are married with kids. Spend time with them. Be around them. One of the best things I did as a young Christian, 22, 23 years old, uh, my friend Eli and his wife Mary, and at the time they had one daughter, just spending time with them. It was so good just to be in their house. One, it slowed my life down. And it wasn't like, oh, I got to realize how much time and freedom I have and how good my life was. All of the stuff that married people tell you that to try trying to make you feel guilty for your life. Um, no, it was good for them and it was good for me. For those of you guys who are married, but you don't have kids, I think we need to pray for, the, for those who desire to have kids who don't yet. Because there's a lot of pain there and that pain is here in our body and our family here as the church. That there's a desire there. I think for those... Um, And this is the hardest. For those who are parents who've lost children, this is hard. Some days, a day like this can seem like pleasure to some and it can pain to others. And that is the unimaginable. The unimaginable and the unthinkable. And yet that happens here in our body. It used to be seven years ago, all we did was celebrate weddings. And now there's funerals, there's weddings, there's marriages that are hurting, and so forth. It's just the life of the church. And we need to continue to pray for them. We've got to pray for those who've lost parents and everybody else in between because that's what it means to be a part of the family of God, that sometimes one man's gain is another man's loss, and one man's trash is another man's treasure, that some people, the way that they parent, is far, it's, it's, it's way different than others. Some people's kids are able bodies, and some kids are not, and yet all of us are called into the family of God to point, instruct, and discipline in the ways of Jesus that he may be elevated. Amen? And the whole phrase of it takes a village, it really takes the church to be able to raise the people of God and the kingdom of God to be his people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the great grace in which you've given us in your son. We thank you, Lord, for the word. We thank you, Lord, for community and family and all of that it brings. Or In circles, in Christian circles, we like to use the word, it's messy, and sometimes we just say it because we think we should say it. It really is messy, and it really is difficult. And, Lord, you have not told us that it would be any different. That you said in this life we will have tribulation, but take hold because you've overcome the world. Help us to follow you who have overcome it all. You who have conquered the grave. You who are the true risen king. You who give us life. God, help us, Lord, in our parenting and us being children and caring for the people around us and caring for our grandparents. All of it, Lord, help us to love in a way that best reflects your kingdom and that is life-giving to us in your ways. Father, help us to submit to you. And walk in your ways. Father, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.